Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is your culinary focused lifestyle show where every weekend we obsess over what to eat and drink next. If you're hungry, well, then you are definitely in the right place because on this show, I cover food, wine, and cocktails, travel, health, tech, the environment, and more. And I'm all about living the best life. So I hope that you will tune in and allow me to feed your soul. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and you can find my podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And of course, my daily dish, Shameless at times is posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So I like to kick off this show with a method or a technique to make you the best cook you know, the greatest chef you can be in your own kitchen. And for 16 blessed years, I have had the opportunity to share my passion on the radio. Well, this next conversation is in praise of mushrooms. I thought we'd get cozy with mushrooms. What do you think? Because mushrooms are good at any time of the year, but there's something about that earthy flavor and the meaty texture that I crave when it begins to get chillier out. I like to add roasted or sauteed mushrooms to baked pasta or serve them alongside a steak. And I really do think that they are cozy food. Now, Meatless Monday, of course, has brought to life the beauty of a stuffed portobello. But I think mushrooms have a place at breakfast, uh, especially in a Benedict, at lunch, raw, sliced into a salad, and at dinner as a side dish or as a base for almost any protein. And for many years, the only commercial mushroom that was actually grown in the U.S. was the round-capped white button mushroom. But today, exotic mushrooms are easily accessible. You can find them at farmer's markets or grocery stores. You can even forage for them. But it's that natural, savory, umami flavor and the texture that lends itself to a wide variety of cuisines and cooking styles. Now, I love fresh mushrooms, but I happen to love them in their dried form as well. And I'm sure you know to reconstitute them in water. And then, of course, best chef's tip, you save the infused water after you strain it and you use it in your next soup or sauce. But even better yet, reconstitute your dried mushrooms in broth or stock, and you'll even have more fantastically fabulous flavor. Now, each mushroom possesses its own unique flavor, and there are some ingredients that create really effective flavor matches across the mushroom spectrum. I think most mushrooms pair universally well with the onion family, especially garlic and shallot. And I think all mushrooms benefit from the addition of a touch of acid, a vinegar, citrus juice, preferably lemon juice in my opinion. Now, when it comes to buying fresh mushrooms, you want to choose plump, clean ones that look without any age spots or signs of wrinkling as fresh as possible. And you want to always discard any that might appear slimy. 
Now, when it comes to cleaning mushrooms, there is a a great controversy, I should say. That controversy is that one should never uh, wash or soak mushrooms in water because they are a sponge-like or porous creature, and they tend to soak it up. Well, I have to say, albeit against conventional wisdom, it's okay to wash mushrooms. I prefer to clean mine with a damp kitchen towel or a paper towel right before I use them because I think that putting them in the fridge in the container without washing actually extends their shelf life. And you want to remove any dirt from the cap and the base of the mushroom. And I always remove the stem, but I save those stems when I go to make a stock or a soup because they infuse really great flavor. And I have a really, you know, lovely Ziploc bag of ends and rinds and peels and stems that go into a stock. I keep it in the bottom of my produce bin and it always comes in really handy. Now, I should mention that statistically with regard to that wash, even after a prolonged soak, Mushrooms are said to only gain about 2% of their total weight in water if you expose them. And it doesn't really make a big difference in the cook time. You just need to know to cook off that liquid. But hold off, I'll be right there in a minute. If you do wash your mushrooms in water, I suggest you spin them dry in a salad spinner because it tends to dry them out really um, as wonderfully as possible. Now, When it comes to cooking mushrooms, and mind you, I love raw mushrooms sliced thinly as a salad uh, or into a salad. Uh, Both work well, actually. Um, But the best way, in my opinion, to cook mushrooms is to roast them. They get really meaty and intense and deeply flavored, and that's what you're after. So I take mushrooms, I quarter them, I toss them with olive oil and pepper, and I roast them at 400 degrees. About 15 minutes at first. And then I drain the liquid from the baking sheet and I save it, by the way. And I continue roasting another 10 minutes or so, depending upon the size and the texture of your mushroom, until they're roasted and browned and caramelized and golden. Now, for that next 15 minute roasting process, I season with salt before I put them back in the oven. And that is the secret. Whether you're roasting or sauteing, because if you throw mushrooms into a saute pan with some olive oil, please refrain from seasoning until the mushrooms give off all their moisture. They will actually exude the liquid, the natural water content in the mushroom. And it's better to do that without salt infringing upon the process. So you want to start the process of either sauteing or roasting mushrooms without any salt. Let that liquid cook off in a saute pan as it will evaporate away or drain it from the cookie sheet if you are roasting the mushrooms to speed up the process. And then season halfway or three quarters of the way through the cooking process and you will get an absolutely fantastically flavored mushroom. Now, what do you do with that liquid that drains off from the cookie sheet? Well, it should be saved because it is a vegan flavor enhancer. It adds 
really wonderful umami goodness to soup or risotto or anything that you would add stock or broth to. It's a big flavor boost. So waste not, want not. And you always want to store mushrooms in a plastic bag with a paper towel inside, or you can put them in a glass bowl covered with a paper towel. And you want to leave that plastic bag slightly open. You want the mushrooms to be able to breathe, and they will keep quite long in the fridge, as you know. Now, for mushroom recipe inspiration, try my wild mushroom risotto or a caramelized mushroom tart, or how about making baked eggs on a bed of sautéed mushrooms? Oh, yes. The recipes are posted, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And now I've made myself hungry, and that is a lesson in mushrooms. Okay, it's time for food news this week. Secret menu fanatics, listen here. There is a secret Dole Whip in town. Well, it's not really in town, but it's worthy of a vacation. It's a pumpkin spice Dole Whip. And social media posts claim that it's very delicious and supposedly it exceeds expectations. So you can now live your best pumpkin life this fall season at the Disney Resort and Spa in Oahu, Hawaii with their pumpkin soft serve whip. You can find this Halloween time gem at the Ulu Cafe at the resort. You can even get a candy corn topping to complete the flavor explosion. So if you have a trip to the tropics planned, aloha, because you shouldn't tell too many people. It is a secret, although I do want to know how it is. So please let me know. You can always email me direct, by the way, and I'd love to dish with you. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com will get you to me. And please don't touch your dial because there is lots more delicious conversation coming up in your radio. Damaris Phillips of Food Network fame is here. Oh, she's stopping by to dish. Oh, and she's an absolute delight. You will not want to miss it. Also, Evan Marks of the Ecology Center is sharing some eco-education. So don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with lots more fabulous food, fine wine, and intriguing conversation right after the break. your fetish? Well, then every Sunday I am supplying the tools. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're looking for Southern comfort, Damaris Phillips is your girl. You know and love her, of course, from her 2013 win on Food Network Star, and you're watching her new show, Southern at Heart, and the morning co-host role she rocks alongside Bobby Flay on the Bobby and Damaris show, airing on the Food Network as well. It's her fresh take on Southern cuisine and her impeccable charm that have propelled her to TV fame. 
but her love for food is still at the heart of her soul. Her first cookbook is a love letter of sorts to her husband. You see, Damaris is a pork-loving, down-home Southern girl in love with an ethical vegetarian. Southern Girl Meets Vegetarian Boy has just released, and Damaris Phillips is live and in your radio to dish. And I am so happy to have you. Hi, Damaris. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, of course. The book is very... Uh, powerful, very transformative. Congratulations. And it's beautiful to boot, by the way. Oh, thank you. I, I um, had a couple of friends tell me, Damaris, it looks like you, which is what we really hoped for. We yes. wanted it to, to seem, I wanted everybody when they're holding it to feel like they got to know me better through the book. And, and I felt that. And I was really impressed by the way that you have transformed the way you cook at home. You vegified it, as you call it, right? <laughs> That's, I love that word. Yeah. So my husband and I, um, we call ourselves a mix of war family. A mix of And everybody knows somebody. Yeah, it's where one person's a carnivore and one of them's a vegetarian. Right. And so, so we're mix of war. So our house, um, it looks like, you know, 75% of the time I'm not going to cook two meals. So I had to find a way to create food that satisfied me and, you know, paid tribute to the food that I grew up with, but then also didn't have meat in it. And man, it was hard. I'm oh, not going to lie. It was not, it wasn't totally successful in all of my first attempts. Um, but I, I think I did a pretty good job. Oh, I, some meat I think you did a fabulous job. <laughs> no, I really do. And I loved reading well, the introduction of the book because we've all oh. dated right? And I love oh, that man. the first few weeks, you really questioned it. Like, th- I'm not sure this is going to work out. <laughs> it, it, you would not believe how many people, when I say my husband's a vegetarian, they're like, oh, how does that work? <laughs> because food and the food that we eat, is it's just such a huge part of our daily life yes. that it really, literally, when he told me that he was a vegetarian, we were on the dance floor. It was the night we first met. We were at a wedding. Everything was going swimmingly. And he told me, I'm a vegetarian. And I, it felt like somebody sucker punched me. <laughs> I swear. I was like, oh, man. This is literally what I said. It was going so well. <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I, I do yeah. love that, that dating has reached a whole new level when it comes to the central passion we have for food. And and I think I would have <laughs> reacted the same way. But you've created dishes that retain their historic comfort and flavor. And they're Absolutely. they're still from your childhood. So let's give a couple of examples because your mother eats the new chicken fried steak. I have to know. Yeah. So my mom is lovely. Um, <laughs> West Virginia, then to Louisville, Kentucky. She um, was way ahead of her time with cooking. So growing up, we did have tofu, and we would have TVP. She was very, very experimental with cooking. But my dad was down home Dalton, Dalton, Georgia, southern fried everything. Um, And and they did it. My mom would make whole wheat biscuits, and it totally worked for them. So I knew that compromise could happen, and I knew that you could update southern food, and it'd be delicious. And that was the key for me. It's not... It wasn't to make vegetarian food. It was to make southern vegetarian food that nobody cares that it's vegetarian. Nobody cares because it's so delicious. And, um, and that's the main thing is, is I, wanted, I wanted food that celebrated 
my parents. I wanted food that celebrated my childhood, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to be able to share it with my husband. And if we have kids, I wanted to be able to share it with them. So you adopted this love for veggie proteins. And you have to tell us, what are the best choices out there for texture and flavor? Because the chicken fried steak that I alluded to has become Mm -hmm. chicken fried tempeh steak. Yeah, absolutely. So what we did is Really, the, the cookbook stays away from tofu because that's the that's the veggie protein that everybody goes to and everybody's had like a bad experience with it. <laughs> so we really steered away from tofu and went to um, using store bought veggie protein because if you think about it, nobody's making their own chicken. Nobody is getting; they're not making ground beef. They go to the grocery store and they get ground beef and they make chili out of it. Right. So in a lot of the recipes, we're using those ingredients that you can find in the store. And these are super successful for people who have never have never tried vegetarian cooking or are new to the world of vegetarians or are cooking for their niece who's coming over for Thanksgiving. So I'm a big fan of using some of the store-bought proteins. Um, and those are like the grinders. I, I love some of the, the ground beef substitutes. I think some of the chicken strip substitutes are super easy. Tempeh is a beautiful palate for breading up and frying and covering in gravy. Um, it works great. And, and Derek eats progress, that? Does Derek oh my, eat that? He loves it. He loves it. So he just is not, none of this is food that he had had either. He hadn't had biscuits and gravy in, you know, 30 years. Oh because gosh. when you go to a breakfast place, they don't have, they don't have biscuits and gravy that doesn't have sausage in it. Right. You know, like. So for him, it was it was like being a kid. He was just like, oh, my God, what what is this? I haven't had biscuits and gravy in years. I love that you are inspiring vegetarian cooks with your best substitutions. Like I noticed throughout the book, you're using smoked ingredients as an alternative to smoked pork. That's smart, yeah. right? You're trying to mm-hmm. add that richness, that depth of flavor by using a counterpart in the vegetarian fashion that represents bacon. And I think it's a testament to the fact that the food world is as progressive and brilliant as it is today because those ingredients are sourceable. Absolutely. And with um, like with as much online shopping as you can do and, and delivery as yes. you can get, ingredients that used to be impossible to find in small towns, now they can be delivered to your door. Hmm. So that's absolutely change the face of cooking, not only in vegetarian food, but just in food in general and in international spices, um, in really opening up the foodie world to our entire country. I agree. And, and it's not, you know, I cook that way even when I cook meat. And, and the cookbook isn't just vegetarian. And that is what I think is the, the, most, the most marvelous part about it is I wanted to create a cookbook that was for everybody. It is Damaris Phillips' first cookbook, Southern Girl Meets Vegetarian Boy. And she's giving down-home dishes a makeover by removing meat in some places, adding spices, updating cooking techniques, and all of the dishes are soul-satisfying Southern meals at heart. You can, of course, order your copy as it's just set to release on Amazon and everywhere. And you should follow Damaris on social at Chef D. Phillips so that we can watch her daily tri- trials and tribulations of Tempe and more. 
And again, thrilled for your success, Damaris. Thank you for stopping by, for sharing your passion. We will continue to cook with you for sure. Thank you so much, Jamie. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, we have big names and great culinary thinkers on this show. So expand your horizons and grab a snack. Then come on back. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Sipping and savoring every weekend. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. He's one of America's hottest winemakers, and his Bellicosa Cabernet Sauvignon snagged the wine world's most coveted best of ratings just 16 months after he launched his namesake brand, Daniel Cohn Wine Company, in October of 2015. This is quite a coup to have him in your radio. Dan Cohn is the founder of Bellicosa Wine, and he is here to fill your glass. He's an entrepreneurial spirit with a tactical approach and a never-give-up philosophy. He was born into one of California's most iconic wine families, but his success is entirely to his credit. And there's wine knowledge and life lessons to learn from him. Dan, I am delighted to have you here. Thank you for stopping by. Jamie, thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Well, thank you. And to me. Um, Okay, let's talk about your dad first. Uh, He's the famous rock music producer turned Sonoma Valley winemaker. He's Bruce Cohn, as in B.R. Cohn, right? That's correct. Yes. And you grew up in the wine world, per se. Well, music and wine combined. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, being the longtime manager of the Doobie Brothers. uh, He uh, started, that's what gave him the money to start a family winery called B.R. Cohn in Sonoma. And uh, we were born and raised at the winery. And uh, kind of the uh the beginning of that you know california gold rush Mm -hmm. from uh 74 on up you know so music and food and wine they they kind of go hand in hand yeah they definitely do i love that you equate good wine to a great song and i would love for you to expand on it I know that you believe in like notes and harmonies with regard to bouquet and aroma. Absolutely. You know, a, a great wine is a lot like a great hit song. I right. Mean, you know, Jimmy, what makes a hit song is uh, no matter what language you speak, no matter what country you're from, you can hear that song and relate to it in some way, shape, or form. Right? Yes. And, you know, wine back when we started out, it was like our history freedom and creativity and perseverance, um, which would make this great wine. And, you know, I believe that, you know, a great song enhances the moment or the experience and as, a, as a great wine does. And it also brings you back to a nostalgic time and place. And that's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And I know that you learned that and you were taught that and you were immersed in it. But when you launched your brand you did things very differently than you watched or were taught. You didn't buy land. Uh, you, you didn't uh, spend the, the time hiring winemakers and forming a team and designing, you know, choosing all the things that one would have to if they were uh, starting a tasting room and a winery. 
you tapped a network of friends, uh, you built relationships, right? And you're very much praised for thinking outside the box. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, being born and raised out there, I, was, I had the opportunity to be raised with a lot of grape growers. So that gave me the opportunity to go to my grape grower buddies and, and have long-term contracts with the growers, which, um, which you know, is the only way I can control the quality. Right, that year after year, vintage after vintage, uh, that I would have a consistent quality for the money, right? And I couldn't launch it with my name on it and hope that people like it, right? Because then they would just buy it one time. Um, so to me, it's got to look like a hundred, it's got to drink like a fifty, and it's got to be twenty-five bucks, right? And that perceived value is mm-hmm. actually a reality. And I think Jamie, you know, also is that there's. So many great, you know, Cabernets out there, but how many of them are really in reach, right? So mm-hmm. making a great Cabernet in reach is is all about spreading the joy a bottle at a time for me. So, you know, I feel like not everybody can make it to the wine country. So I really like bringing the wine country to them. That's why I spend as much time as I do on the road. Yeah, 308 days last year? Uh, yeah, and this is actually my third year of, of that kind of momentum. Right, which, by the way, makes your wife a saint. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, couldn't do any of it without her. Yeah. There is a very well-done Forbes article about you um, that I read over and over because I thought the lessons and the profile that they shared really highlighted uh, what you have... I, I think, uh, not meaning so, have taught so many entrepreneurs or are showing us along the way. And you just alluded to it. Your mission and your philosophy, in a nutshell, is that you're bringing the California wine country to uh, Flagstaff, Chattanooga, places that might not know from or have fallen in love with California wines and you're making it affordable to drink the best wine and you're getting accolades for it. So pat yourself on the back a little bit and just tell us about your awards. There is a particular Cabernet Sauvignon that has made its way across this country and is very well known. It is yours. Yeah, it was really neat and it's very humbling and it's, you know, I never, I never really sold a wine with a score in my life. You know, mm. I always sold the wine on the merit of the wine. But, right. you know, we did get an unsolicited 94 rating on the inaugural vintage. And then, you know, we got the hottest brand of 2016 when they did the 30 hottest brands of the year. And then, um, you know, getting that call from Forbes magazine mm. going, you know, and, and the gentleman in the road called me and said, look, I don't do any you know, BS fluff pieces. I really just do grassroots, bootstrap, like grit stories. I'm like, bro, I'm literally eating Taco Bell in between Iowa and Kansas right now, telling myself it's all going to be worth it. Right, so how much more grit do you need than that? (laughs) I got a story for you, which was pretty cool because he said, America's hottest new wine, but, you know, it's, you know, spreading the joy a bottle at a time. You know what, Jamie, you do the best you can, right? You make the best possible wine at the best possible price. But until people start sharing it back with you mm-hmm. is when it really makes sense and, and, and really makes it all worthwhile. And an example is, is like the um, like the Yelp for the restaurants, right? It's the stuff you can't pay for, good or bad or indifferent. But when people are posting and they're like, we were out to dinner in L.A., we were at this great restaurant, we were with all of our friends, we were going to the show, we had a bottle of your wine, 
your wine was the highlight of our evening. I'm like, well, you got to get some new friends or go see a better show, right? <laughs> how is the wine the, how is the wine the highlight of the evening, right? So, I mean, those are the things that make it all worthwhile to me is, is I see the same look in people's eyes when they drink yes. a wine as like hearing a hit song. Right. And, you know, and I hope that that's what Bellicose is, a beautiful thing. And I hope that that moment, whether it's in the restaurant and the servers enhancing that moment by introducing them to Bellicosa, that they have that beautiful thing or that experience with the wine. You know, you know as well as I do, people that eat out, right? They, right. they, they like life experiences. Yes. And I just hope that Bellicosa, the beautiful thing, can enhance that life experience or yeah, that but moment. I can very much relate to that, Dan. You know, I traveled a lot with my mom, who was in sales when I was growing up, a single mother. We went wonderful places. I don't remember everywhere we went, but I do remember most of the things we ate. And I remember those culinary memories, albeit food or wine, they do stay with us. I read that you want servers in restaurants across the country to say, hey, you have to taste my friend Dan's wine. I mean, who who thinks like that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, just, I, want, I, want, I don't know if I might be the only person, you know, they all have a friend in the wine country, right? Am right. I, you know, am I the guy, the server in Shreveport, Louisiana, the only winemaker he ever met? I don't know, right? <laughs> Maybe. And so, you know, I, I would like them to be able to have a connectivity to a wine brand that they don't have with any other wine brand. Well, kudos to you because you are no doubt bringing people together and creating lasting moments. And it is the soul and the experience of wine that Bellicosa is known for. Um, and talk about grassroots. Um, I, I applaud you, no doubt. And I am delighted to have shared your story, albeit maybe not as beautifully as Forbes, uh, but but aspirationally, at least. And I will let my listeners know, this is beautiful wine. It's called Bellicosa. Uh, it is a beautiful thing. And hey, you have to taste my friend Dan's wine. Really? <laughs> That's good enough for me. They hear it from you. That's good enough for me. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here, for taking time on the road. I appreciate it. Uh, You can learn more, get on the list, uh, sip and savor at bellacosa, B-E-L-L-A-C-O-S-A, wine.com. You can follow uh, Dan's travels as well. Where do we find you on social? Uh, Same thing, bellacosa wine. Okay, good. That's Uh, that's what I followed. Bellacosa wine. Perfect, good. uh, I think it's Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. And Facebook as well. Perfect. And um, next time you're near my city, I look forward to toasting with you. I look forward to pulling some corks together, Jamie. Thank Thank you you so much. Continued success to you. He is truly one of America's hottest winemakers, and it's all a buzz. It's called Bella Cosa, and you should taste it. Uh, There is more fabulous food and fine wine in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving and we have the best gastronomic thinkers on this show. 
Seeking real-world sustainability, Evan Marks founded the Ecology Center in San Juan Capistrano, California, as a hub of eco-education. Evan is also a teacher and designer trained in permaculture and agroecology. His dream is to use his organization as a model to expand across the country, around the world, promoting healthy communities and an abundant future for all. The Ecology Center has had 10 glorious years, and the buzz is building for the upcoming release of their highly anticipated first cookbook. It is called Community Table, Recipes for an Ecological Food Future, and it's more than a cookbook. It is a manual for an abundant and thriving food future. I'm very proud to actually live nearby the Ecology Center and to know Evan, and I am ever delighted that he is stopping by to share his vision as we celebrate the release of his cookbook and you learn what you can do to assist in the process of saving our planet for the future. I'm very glad to have you, Evan. Finally, thank you for being here. Honored. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Um, Okay. For those that have not been, because I have visited and it is beautiful, Give us a tour of the Ecology Center, please. It's a working farm. It's a farmhouse. It's a school. It's so many things. And this is a very special property. It's it's a 140-year-old legacy of agriculture. Yes. And as you pull into the property, you're guided right towards this beautiful, historic uh, 140-year-old farmhouse from 1878 and surrounded by a working farm uh, and a farm stand. And so... When I showed up here 10 years ago, it was a dirt lot in an empty house seeking to be. And with the help of countless individuals and hardworking um, members of the community, we've built this cultural ecosystem that allows us to inspire a future that gives more than it takes, that provides solutions and skills to how we live on this planet as humans in a, in a positive and healthy way. And so... Um, yeah, it's been quite a journey, and, and, and the landscape is ever-evolving. It is ever-evolving, and I know that you have expansion plans, but we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I love that you support the farming community in a way that is so small but so grand at the same time, and I know that your mission and goal is to duplicate this concept so as to spread the love, per se, um, but if you would, uh, share your philosophy and your respect for our ecosystem because you're doing good and good begets good. The stewardship of, of this planet is a very important endeavor. And, mm-hmm. um, and I got turned on to the, 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 the power of, of agriculture as a, as a capability of nourishing people on the planet when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Because as a surfer growing up in, in uh, Newport Beach, I, re- I, I learned... Um, through the Surfrider Foundation and further subsequent studies in university, that agriculture is the number one pollution on our oceans. And that just didn't make sense to me. Mm. Um, and so for many different reasons, one to the potential extinction of my passion, but ultimately to the, the building blocks of, of culture as food, how, how is it that is, a, is the detriment to our environment? So the last 20 years I've been on a pursuit to reimagine food as a as a driver for nourishment in our communities and so when i came back to start the ecology center and at that time we were just a, our property footprint was one acre so a small 
uh, small enough as a as a garden and not necessarily a working farm. And so mm-hmm. we really wanted to set the table for our agrarian community and start to build deeper relationships with those fishermen, farmers, ranchers, et cetera, that are doing the, the hard work of stewarding our community, our, our farmlands and, and our precious natural resources in a way that's meaningful. Um, hmm. And so we've done many different things to really celebrate them, but, uh, you know, the, that work is really, really hard, as, as maybe you may or may, or may not know. Um, I think we all get a glimpse of it. The chefs um, often get the celebrity here. Our work is really trying to say thank you to the culinary community, but really start to focus on the, the hard work that, that's happening in the agrarian side of things. Yes, and and you're bringing light to it, and you've spread the gospel, and it's working, right? I mean, you've seen growth, not only of your own, but also your outreach. Yeah, no, we've seen a lot of, I mean, we started with a dirt lot, and you remember <laughs> that, I mean, it was a dirt lot and I an do. idea. Yes. Um, and, a, and, a, and a young passionate individuals myself that had come off of seven and eight years of working internationally in Latin America and Africa with a, a passion that said this, these ecological concepts need to be grounded in this crazy county of consumerism called Orange County. Yes, Orange and County, so California. Back to our roots. And so, yeah, we've seen mm. exponential growth every year, and now That's it's wonderful. a transformative crossroads for us. I am thrilled for the release of this cookbook, and I believe that everyone should see it and have one, because as Evan Marks says, celebrate the harvest. So you can go to the ecologycenter.org to learn more. You can follow on social at The Ecology Center, and you can pre-order the book Community Table from Powerhouse Books, and then look for it worldwide on Amazon and otherwise. It is called Community Table, Recipes for an Ecological Food Future from The Ecology Center in California. Um, kudos to you once again. I very much admire your work, Evan, and um, and I'm thrilled to be able to to share uh, and spread the word. Yeah, thank you so much, Jamie. I'll see you soon. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I do hope that you were inspired to unleash your inner chef. And whether you love to cook or just love to eat, I like to say we can definitely be friends. Please tune in every weekend and allow me to continue to feed your soul. I will leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of conversation for the hour. With Halloween quickly approaching, who doesn't love the snap, crackle, pop sweetness of a Rice Krispie treat, right? Well, elevated in this recipe using dulce de leche in the mix you can guarantee that your Rice Krispie Treats will be the best on your block. To make Dulce de Leche Rice Krispie Treats, you need salted butter, marshmallows, some Dulce de Leche in a can, and Rice Krispie cereal. And you go about the process just as you know. You melt the butter and the marshmallows, or if you're using marshmallow fluff, you'll add the Dulce de Leche, pour in the cereal, press it into a casserole or a baking pan. And then I like to gild the lily and pour chocolate ganache over the top, set it in the fridge, cut and indulge. I will post the recipe happily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 